Hello, happy people. Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast. And today I am uh, very glad to uh, share with you um, a meeting that I'm having right now with Bill Gardner, uh, who is uh, the managing partner um, of Noetic Outcomes. Um, Bill Gardner is a, uh, a fellow coach here in Austin, Texas. He's an expert at many things, and he's going to share what those are. But uh, just excited to have you, uh, Bill, for just a, an awesome conversation. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm fired up to be able to talk to you this morning. Oh, that's awesome. So, Bill, you already told me uh, what side of town you're, you're in, and I'm over here. And it's like, wait a second, we're in the same beautiful Austin town, um, and, and we've never met, which which to me is, is uh, we know a lot of the same people, uh, yes. like Dr. John Gillis, and I just have a list of people that we, we know in common. So it's really a pleasure to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you, too. Yes, down to that two degrees of separation here yeah, in Austin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, Bill, let's start from ground zero, if you will. Um, give us a sense of the problems that you solve in the world today with your, your coaching practice and your business overall. Uh, so my, my business is targeted at three different levels, uh, an organizational level, organization development, a team analysis and development uh, practice, and then executive coaching. Um, when I started my business, it was going to be in that order. I thought I'd do primarily OD work. And lastly, executive coaching. The market flipped me completely upside down. So most of my revenue these days is from executive coaching. I occasionally do an organization development uh, intervention. So the kinds of problems I solve, uh, and, and let me, a caveat there is, Technically, I don't solve any problems. Mm. Uh, that's I don't see that as my role. Um, I uh, I help people to figure out how to solve their own problems, mm. um, and and a couple of reasons for that I think are even if I think I have a better solution, there's much more commitment on the person I'm helping if it's their solution. Um, they would tend to take more responsibility, more accountability for making it happen. So um, for organizations, well, actually, I'd say across all three of those levels, the way I help approach a problem is to start with the end in mind. You know, what's the vision for a leader? For a leader, what's their desired legacy? What's that end point? Mm -hmm. um, and then I ask a lot of really great questions and help them figure out what's holding them back from that. And then yeah. they address those problems. You know, you, you really make a, an important point, which I want to highlight here. You share with us that um, you don't actually solve the problems yourself. And boy, uh, is that good advice <laughs> uh, for any coaches listening is, you know, it's, it's awesome to love your client and, 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 and really be passionate about what you do. But remember, the, the solution comes from your client's uh, actions. But, but, but on that note, let's, let's zero in again, if you don't mind, sure. on the specific problems that your customers are feeling. Um, so if anyone is, is listening right now and, and they're wondering, well, how can, how can Bill potentially help me? Paint a picture for us of the kind of challenges that your ideal clients deal with that bring, you know, that you help to bring clarity for. 
Well, one of the things I love about this job is I can't categorize them, but let me just give you a couple of examples. Yeah. yeah. Um, I worked with uh, the head of a cancer research hospital uh, in the Midwest who at 62 years of age had never had an issue dealing with people. As a matter of fact, he was an excellent people person. But he contacted me because he had started to have sort of explosive anger events, I guess you'd call it. Um, and it, it, I mean, he started the conversation with me by holding up a little personal card. And he said, my wife is now buying these uh, by the box because I keep having to write apology notes to nurses, uh, physicians, assistants, people, people at the hospital because I'm losing my temper so much. Mm-hmm. And I don't seem to be able to get control of it. And so the coaching him was to help him get behind the emotion and figuring out what was triggering that uh, for him. And then, and then once understanding that trigger, then to look at healthier ways to deal with that emotion that was, that was coming up for him. Yeah. Um, I'm coaching uh, currently uh, a very C-suite level uh, person who happens to be the only woman in the senior executive team of the company uh, which she's working for, and also the youngest and the least experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, in talking with her boss, the CEO, uh, he said, you know, only development need here is confidence, uh, not appearing with enough confidence. I should say also she's not from the United States originally, and she is from a culture that would be nicer and more reticent to and and especially resident to boast our own her own strengths. Yeah. Um, so I'm working with her basically to change, help her change her mindset mm. um, about why she should be so confident. Because the CEO is completely confident in her mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. but how to feel that, and then how to somatically, or how does her body show I'm confident I should be at this table you know, I, my opinion is just as valid as yours. Yeah. Um, uh, I've yeah. had a couple of CEOs who have had trouble with boards. And so I helped them reframe the issues that they were just, you know, beating their heads against the wall about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. then help them figure out what they needed to do to make those better relationships. It sounds like the, the common denominator of, the problem that you solve in the world really is the word mindset. Uh, I've heard you mention that a couple of times. And, and, you know, I think as we shift into the question of how you solve these problems, you know, maybe we could start with a definition. You know, um, a lot of people think about mindset and it's become this really buzzy word. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. You know, along with other words like soft skills and uh, leadership and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Why don't you just give us a a definition of the word mindset? And then if you could describe for us your technology, how do you help people upgrade or change or level up on mindset so that they can achieve their their business goals? Sure. Um, So let me make it a little more complex (laughs) quickly and then then I'll make it simpler. Okay. All right. Um, So my background and training until I started the PhD program here at University of Texas, my background was from strict behaviorist. So my mentor in my master's program 
we would say over and over when somebody would say, well, this person has a bad attitude. He'd say, I can't address an attitude, but I can address a behavior. What do they look like Mm -hmm. when they're showing a bad attitude? What are they saying? If you can get it to something I can see, I can help with it because behavior is all that counts. Yeah. Well, it's, that's partially true, but it's also partially not true. It's largely untrue because it's not just what somebody does. It's why they do it. Mm. So for me, I include mindset in an area that, uh, and I apologize, but I came from the computer industry. I call it an uh, internal operating system Mm. for people. And so just like when people who don't know a whole lot about computers sit down and start doing stuff at the computer, Mm -hmm. there is an iOS in the background translating their keystrokes and their clicks and their touches on the screen to something that happens. So if something that happens is the behavior, we have an operating system that mysteriously is going on in the background. Mm -hmm. So I can change my behavior. If you just say, you know, stop talking with your hands, then I'll put my hands in my lap and I won't talk with my hands for the rest of that meeting because I'm controlling my behavior. Mm -hmm. But the next meeting, I'll still use my hands because something in my operating system says, when your mouth moves, move your hands too. It's just, (laughs) it's just the way I am. Right. Yep. So, so in that internal operating system, I see uh, people's values, uh, not, not just their espoused values, but their actual lived values, mm-hmm. values, mindset, uh, mental models, internal assumptions, schema, theories. You pretty much name it. It's in that internal operating system, mm-hmm. right? Which includes mindset or mental models. So when I coach somebody, obviously we have to start with behavior which typically I'm not called to coach on behavior, right? I'm mm-hmm. called at some, they've, they've come up with some sophisticated description of it, unmotivated, not being innovative, not being confident. So my first way of starting to help people address that is help me understand if it's the boss saying this, help me understand what that looks like. Yeah. What does she do when she isn't looking confident or your thinking mm-hmm. is withholding information, whatever, whatever it is, what is she doing? What is she saying? Mm-hmm. So once we've talked about that and that's easy to get agreement on, right? Yep. I mean, if I, if I were talking to you right now and I would say, you're, you know, you're nodding your head and you're saying yes, occasionally that's behavior. Yep. It's really hard for you to disagree with me about that. Mm-hmm. So we get agreement on the behavior. Now my job is to ask some questions to help them understand why they think that's a solution. Yeah. Behind that operating system uh, is a whole model of from genetics to experiences, to the way we interpret experiences, to the way we make meaning. And then we come up with a theory that says, if I want to get my way, this is how I'll do it. Yep. Yep. And we reinforce that over and over and over again. But what happens with senior executives, especially is, they usually at one point were a technical expert and everybody just bowed to their technical expertise. And now they still have that, but they're supposed to be a leader. 
And they are using the same models that they used when they were leading technical. Yeah, what, 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 what got you here won't get you there kind of a thing. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. I say that about once a session, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, you know, I, I, I really appreciate uh, how you map behavior to the drivers of behavior. And when you get agreement on behavior, then you go be behind and help people really address the problems. That's really a, a nice uh, and clear approach. Bill, can you take us deeper into how you became, uh, you know, Bill Gardner? How did you become the one with this light that you're shining on? What, you know, can be kind of a complex topic for a lot of people, you know, changing themselves truly to, to become better. How did you, how did you arrive here? What's your story? Okay, and this is how the time that you're going to have to say, okay, Bill, wrap it up, because I can get <laughs> kind of bogged down here. No, I love, um, I love your, I love <laughs> what you do. And I think the truth is, you know, it's so interesting for me. Maybe the most interesting for me is the backstory. How did you get to be this person? I mean, we all have complex lives. I want to know how you got here. Okay, okay. So you actually have to go back to the context that I grew up in. So just a couple of, of points on that. I grew up in the state of Mississippi, um, and I grew up during the period of time when the civil rights movement and racial strife was a huge thing all over the country. But Mississippi was m- the focus of that. Mm. Um, and it was the focus of that when I was about 12 to well, 12 to, to continues today, not as violently as it was back then. Mm-hmm. So. My father did a brilliant thing, I think, looking back. I would ask him a question, and he would never answer my question. He would say, well, why don't you think about that and see if you can figure it out, mm. right? So it that's been my approach to life. Well, that's puzzling. Why, let me study that a little bit and see if I can figure it out. What, was, what I couldn't understand back in the, those times was how violently, uh, particularly white people in, in my home state, particularly white people, were resisting an inevitable change, right? I mean, it just seemed like the change had to happen. This, this is not 1800s. Change has to happen. But people resisted that change. So, it, I mean, early on, it became why do people have so much trouble changing? Or why do systems have so much trouble changing? Uh, even in high school, I did uh, my uh, science project on how to get people to change was offering them a carrot or beating them with a stick the better way. I used mice and did a study. I won't go into all that. But anyway, um, I was a spoiled child growing up in this thing where I could, you know, wonder about change. And then that all really abruptly ended because my mother died when I was 14 and my dad when I was 16. And, And I was the baby of the family. My sisters were married off with their own lives. And I ended up from spoiled to on my own. Um, And so the concept of I am responsible for everything now, you know, there's no parent to call and say, hey, I ran out of money. Can you send me a check? There's no parent to consult with me or give me advice on stuff. And I was a junior in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll skip over my undergraduate. Well, I'll say about my undergraduate program is that I I majored in banking and finance because my aunts and uncles, my mother and father's brothers and sisters gave me the advice that would be a really good career field for me. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so I went off and got a degree in finance and economics, and I came back and worked at a bank, and I absolutely hated it. It was the worst possible thing for me. It just wasn't me. Yeah. Um, I quit to get an MBA, and this is when my life turned in this direction because my mentor, the man who would become my mentor, the first class I took was called Behavioral Dynamics and Organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Get Acquainted activity, he interviewed me because we were one student short when he put us into small groups. And at the end of that class, he asked me to stick around. He had a question. And when I went up to him afterwards, he said, uh, I want to know when you're going to stop living somebody else's dream Mm. and live your own. And so I wish I could say I was insightful enough at that moment to think, wow, what a brilliant question. I should go reflect on this. But that's not what happened. It upset me. I was so angry at him. I sort of stormed out of the class. I was planning to change my major. You know, how dare he question this? And but I stayed awake all night that night. And the next morning I went when I made an appointment with him and I said, um, you're right. I don't even know what my dream is. Wow. I've never, nobody's ever asked me what my dream is. Um, and through a process I would call of discernment with him, um, I wrote my first life vision mission statement or whatever. Um, and it more or less was, I want to have an impact on other people's lives uh, that is a positive impact and a sustainable impact. And I want to be as happy for the rest of my life as I am right now today, having made mm. this decision to do something different. Wow. Um, so, you know, the rest of my career basically has been trying to help organizations, teams, or individuals change and trying to figure out how I can best make that, ha- help them make that happen uh, for them. Yeah. I might have lost your question and all that. Well, no, no, you did. I mean, there's a saying that a a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And I really appreciate your story because you've you've struggled. You've gone you've gone the way. This isn't something that you're just reading out of a textbook somewhere, (laughs) right? Right. And that's I think that's 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 really. probably the most important thing. Let's let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about you know the the journey of you know doing what you love which is you know doing what you you were designed for this um and still making some business out of it and and um you know you know I, I like to call that profitable happiness. You might yeah. call it something else. Um I I like to think that uh we all have a purpose and um I love to hear how other people have blended their purpose and mission to create businesses. Tell us a little bit about how you've achieved profitable happiness. Yeah, so uh, I, I would say until 2010, I was working in large companies, um, uh, some smaller companies, but progressively larger uh, companies. And um, and I was doing organization development most of that career, helping organizations change. And, um, and then leadership development became a, a part of that as well. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that, well, it was profitable. I was, I was handsomely paid, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. uh, of course, growing up in Mississippi, I had a sort of a lower c- a ceiling I was shooting for. 
Mm-hmm. And I blew right past that, you know. So I performed well and I had impact. So 2010, um, I sort of maneuvered my set, my position to one that would be easily cut. Mm-hmm. I left a, a very safe position and I moved into a job called director of HR transformation. Um, and uh, I staked my life, my job on either this happens or I leave, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm going to help HR. We've tried this three times. This is going to be a full-time job now for me. And sure enough, they eliminated that job, the next round of layoffs that we had at the tech company I was working for. So I started my business. Um, and what has happened is as I've paid attention to the market, because, you know, making a positive and lasting sustainable impact on people's lives uh, could fit all three of the things that I do. But I was given more opportunity to do it with executives on an individual level. Uh, Executive coaches, when you're coaching at the C-suite level, you know, charge more. It's harder to get into that uh, circle. Uh, and so my my price has gone up and up and up. Uh, right now, um, I do a lot of pro bono and free uh, coaching, um, and and I do it because I love what I do. I absolutely yeah. get fired up and excited about I have an appointment today mm-hmm. uh, to to try to help this person or or help this group. Interestingly enough, since I started doing much more pro bono stuff, and also the first consulting company I worked for, my partners would not let me go talk to customers because if I determined and I saw they had a need, then when they gave them the price and they said, oh, we can't afford that, I would say, well, what can you afford? You know, like, I, I mean, I'm here to help you with the problem. Yeah, so, yeah. And so my partners just said, you're not in on those negotiations anymore. You write, uh-huh. so you make flip charts for us. We'll do the selling. Yeah, yeah. Um, so being on my own, I, I felt very happy in the jobs in the past. I really underestimated how happy I could be um, when I didn't have someone structuring what I do and needing for me to report on what I do and all that good stuff. And in a big company, I can't say to a senior executive, I'm not going to help you with that. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like there's a real problem, but, yeah. you know. I'm not getting good vibes from you or I don't like you or whatever. I couldn't do that, Mm -hmm. but I can do that now. Uh, And I have done that a couple of times that after the chemistry meeting, when they said, yeah, let's go forward with this. I've said, you know, I don't think I'm the right coach. Mm -hmm. So let me bring some competitors of mine and have a chemistry meeting with them and see, but I'm I'm not right uh, for this position. So, as I've started turning down things and doing more free things, my bottom line has been the best. The, la- the pandemic was just incredible for my bottom line. Mm-hmm. And it's just continued to go up. I'm making more money per year than I've ever made in my career. And I'm doing less work. And I'm much more happy uh, than, than I was before. Wow. Um, that, that's, you know, we've all heard about that whole shift that the pandemic brought uh, you know, to the coaching and many other uh, online focused industries. Uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear it directly from you um, that this has been a, a I don't want to say a good time, but for business uh, right. going online, it's definitely f- helped a lot of uh, businesses. 
Yeah. And, and honestly, in the business of coaching, what seems to happen, for example, the doctor I was talking about the, that is losing his temper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, directly related to the pandemic, um, and I'm working on an article about this right now, our survival brain, uh, metaphorical survival brain, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, helps us live, it, it, you know, we evolved to handle short-term threats. Mm. You know, wow, here's a saber-toothed tiger. I got to deal with this right now. I can't think about it. I got to just react. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're not set up to have two years of an existential threat if we leave our house. Mm. So I think we've exhausted our survival brain to the place where when something small happens, it seems much bigger. You know, mm. that kitty cat that came in to rub against our leg while we're in a meeting seems like that saber-toothed tiger. Uh, you know, we are overreacting. And I think it's because our capacity to react appropriately mm-hmm. is really strained uh, right now and continuing to be strained. And there's a lot of stuff happening politically in other ways that are existential threats to many of us. And so when you've lost that coping, it's like being exhausted and saying, oh, I need to go out and do something that requires physical ability, you just like, I'm too tired. I think we're too tired of being threatened so that small threats seem huge now. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. What are you currently excited about next? What's coming up on your plate uh, that you'd like to share? And, and then of course, after you share that, let's uh, tell us where people can find you online so they can learn from you or maybe even hire you. Okay, all right. Uh, So what I'm excited about next is the model that I kind of overviewed, you know, getting to that individual operating system. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a full model fleshed out on that. I have at least got the rough outline for a book Mm -hmm. uh, and some other stuff. And that's my most exciting thing is trying is getting that book put together in a form that it can that it can be published. so that so that's a big exciting thing for me that I'm looking for that I'm setting goals around and and uh, really wanting to go forward. I'm sorry, what was the second part of the question? How can people find you online? I, uh, uh, I, we, we're going to have the LinkedIn link, of course, but uh, yeah. you have any yeah. other web pages you'd like to send people to? Uh, well, NoeticOutcomes.com is my uh, current website. And on there, you can, um, obviously, you could book me or, or set up a, a conversation with me uh, mm-hmm. from that website. But there is a section where uh, I'm a Forbes contributor. And so everything I've written uh, for Forbes is um, hot linked uh, on there. So, you know, if you see a topic like leaders have to handle their own and other people's uh, anger and negative emotions, obviously, that came from my coaching gig. Uh, you can just click on that and read this that uh, that kind of story. Those Forbes articles are short. Um, I think we're limited to a thousand words, mm-hmm. uh, but they're very short, pithy, and they and they're advice giving. They're what I don't do when I'm coaching. Um, so you could find me there, and I think from those articles, um, and possibly from this podcast, uh, if you think that's somebody I'd like to talk to about setting up coaching or team development, or I have an organizational culture issue uh, mm-hmm. that I need to work on, any of those would be a way to uh, get to me. Or you could just send an email to bill at noeticoutcomes.com. 
That is so awesome. Bill, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Um, I, I just love to, to hear stories about how people are solving these tough organizational and leadership problems, and, and you're at the front line. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember, get happy first and success will follow.